everybody, Sigrayaro here, and you're listening to Year Blank Year Stories. We are doing the actual episode for today, which if you haven't listened to the late to the episodes that have been going on for the past few days, then you won't understand. But if you have, then you will. Um I did mention this in the last episode because it didn't feel that significant, but you know those moments where you have, like, one part of a song stuck in your head and you can't figure out what it is? So that happened to me recently with just this, like, little guitar riff. And I couldn't figure out what song it was from. But then I was just listening to music, like, you know, on the, like... If she respond, I don't- I didn't want her to respond, so that's why I cut myself off. On the Amazon Echo Dot, I guess... You know the name. I just don't want to say it because then she'll activate. Um, and it was like, I was listening to the front bottoms and music by similar artists. Because apparently, if you don't have premium, you can't just listen to one artist anymore. Which, like, you know, that's sort of a little dumb in my opinion. But whatevs. Um... But what came on was Totally Fine by Pup, and it had that guitar riff, and I found that song, and the rats have been so glad, you know. They've been cheering, they've been celebrating, they've been rejoicing. (laughs) They've been having a grand old time. But, um, I don't have much more to say aside from that, so I'm just gonna jump into the book, you know. Brother and sister. Once upon a time, a brother and, si- and a sister clasped, one of which was missing a finger. Claps. I'm gonna start this over because I effed up. <laughs> Once upon a time, a brother and a sister clasped hands, one of which was missing a finger, and strode out of the White Mountains, across green hills, and into a large and wonderful wood. Trees towered above them like the pillars of heaven, strong and straight all the way up. Birds sang and flitted by their faces. Little rodents, chipmunks, squirrels, mice, dashed in and out of the underbrush. A fawn appeared and looked at them from from behind a stand of of ferns, and then bounded off after his mother. Everything was greener here, more full of life, than anywhere Hansel and Gretel had ever been. Sorry. <laughs> the vibrant power of the place began to take hold of the si- of the children. Hansel rushed out ahead of his sister, bounding, bounding through the ferns and then running back again, like a dog that's been let off his tether. Gretel laughed and sang and collected blue bottles and daisies and other wildflowers. We can make a life here, she shouted to her sister. Huh? Hansel hooted with delight and took off after a low-flying blackbird. Soon the two came to a clearing where they stood, a, where there stood a magnific- magnificent tree. It rose to such heights that they could barely make out where the lowest branches began, though they could see, if they looked really hard, a crown of green far above them. Gretel jumped when she noticed, in the wood of the tree, what appeared to be a woman's face. It was made of bark, with brown hair wrapping around its smooth cheeks and wide eyes. Gretel walked up to it, mesmerized. What a magnificent tree, she said. Thank you, the tree replied. Now you may have have expected Gretel to jump, or Hansel to fall backward over a conveniently placed log, but neither did. The tree's voice was so gentle that neither of them was was startled at all. Welcome to my wood, she went on. It is called it is called the Lebenwald, the wood of life. That's pronounced Lebenwald. Go ahead and say it. German is fine. Plant something, the tree went on, and watch it sprout before your eyes. Spy on the wild beasts and see them leap and bound and grow. You, too, will grow here and live and be happy. Her woody eyes drifted over them, and then she asked, invitingly, Do you plan to stay? Hansel looked to Gretel. She nodded and said, If you don't mind. I don't mind, the tree smiled, and then added, But I ask of you one thing. Please, take no more than you need. Life here exists in a delicate balance. Do not upset it. 
Then she told them that, less than a league hence, lay a lovely spot where they could build their home. The children thanked the tree, because it is always best to thank talking trees. Then they bid her farewell and started for the place she had told them of. They soon came to a small clearing. Some large stones were partially buried in the earth there, and a nearby, and nearby a brook burbled and babbled over smooth rocks. The sun shone in, the sun shone in through, the, through the green leaves. Hansel and Gretel agreed that this was the place the tree must have met. They gathered fallen branches and, and fronds of fern and laid them against the great rocks so that a little hut was formed, half green, half gray. They gathered more ferns, as well as moss and leaves, and made two little beds for themselves, side by side. Then, then Gretel gathered seeds to begin a garden, and Hansel gathered nuts and berries for supper. That night, they feasted. Gretel swore that nothing can make her happier, and Hansel agreed. They decided that they needed nothing else, certainly not parents, and that they would be able to live happily, just like this, for the rest of their lives. Yeah, right. Oh, did I say that out loud? The next day, Hansel was out gathering food for dinner as Gretel tended to their garden. Tended their garden. He walked beneath the towering trees and heard the birds singing as they flitted by. And he thought, "What life! What excitement! I want to be part of it all." Just then, a brown rabbit ran across his path. Hansel felt his legs twitch. Before he knew it, he was pursuing the rabbit through the underbrush. As the sun set that evening, he walked back into the clearing, exhausted but as happy as the chirping birds. He had the rabbit in, its, in his hand. It was dead. He placed it before Gretel on the ground. Now we must make a fire, he said, and eat. But Gretel was upset. Why did you do it? she asked. We don't need this. Suddenly Hansel felt, felt sorry for having killed the small beast, though he had enjoyed hunting it so. They made a fire and cooked the rabbit and ate it so it would not go to waste, but Gretel made him promise not to kill any more animals. We have everything that we need right here, she said. Remember what the tree told us. He felt bad and promised. But the next day, as he walked through the woods looking for nuts and berries, he saw a tiny baby fawn, nosing a stand of fern. His legs began to twitch again, and his heart began to race. He remembered what his sister had made him promise. He told himself to turn away, but there was something about the air here, the color of the green, the musty scent of the wood, that made him want to burst as he watched the tiny fawn among the fronds of fern. He couldn't help it. In a flash, he lit off after the frightened creature. As the sun set that evening, he walked back into the clearing, exhausted but as happy as the little animals that run among the underbrush. Over his shoulder was slung the fawn. He placed it before his sister on the ground. "'What have you done?' she cried. He attempted to calm her. "'Now we can eat meat for a whole month,' he said, "'and I won't have to kill another animal for a long, long time.' She looked at him in disbelief and then began to weep bitterly over the dead fawn. "'Why did you do it?' she muttered. "'We have all we need here. Remember what the tree said.' Hansel suddenly remembered once more, and remorse swept over him. That night, he tossed and turned. He was furious at himself. Hadn't she told him? Hadn't they both told him? Don't take more than you need. He and Gretel had eaten as much of the fawn as they could that night, and it looked as if they hadn't even touched it. Now the carcass lay outside on the grass attracting flies, its stench wafting over their beautiful clearing. As Hansel stared at it, he vowed to be his own master, and not let his impulses carry him away again. The next day, before he went out to find fruit, Gretel made him swear on his very life that he would kill nothing else. He swore it, and hugged her and kissed her for being so good and so forgiving, and he promised he would do nothing violent ever again as long as they remained in this forest. She kissed him on his forehead, as if he were much younger than she, and sent him off for the nuts and fruit. He spent the whole day basking in the lovely green light of the leaves, picking berries and storing them in his tattered shirt, which he had tied around his waist like an apron. He felt the peacefulness and calm of the forest, and he wondered why he hadn't always been able to feel it, why he had become why he had been overcome the last two days with the with that uncontrollable animal lust. And then he saw a white dove perching on a nearby branch. Something tingled in his legs and arms. Don't, he told himself. It's wrong. He started to shake. Go home. Turn away and go home. But he found himself creeping in the direction of the dove. The berries fell to the ground. 
As the sun set that evening, he walked back into the clearing, exhausted but as happy as a sated wolf. Blood covered his arms and his face, and he carried in his hands the broken and eviscerated carcass of the white dove. Gretel screamed when she saw him. "'What have you done?' she cried. "'What, Hansel, what's wrong with you?' Hansel stopped. Then he looked down at the dead bird. He noticed that his arms were covered in blood, and his shirt was stained with a mix of blood and berry juice. He wondered where the berries were. Gretel began to cry. Hansel, confused and upset, placed the dove at her feet. She backed away from it, covering her face. He looked at her and felt awful, but not as awful as he had felt the night before. He turned and walked back into the woods. Gretel saw Hansel only infrequently after that. Occasionally, as she was out collecting berries, she saw him running through the forest after some animal or other. At first, he had stopped to speak with her, just a few words each time, but soon she noticed that words were not coming as easily to him as they once had, and he was ever and always looking over his shoulder, or following the flight of birds with jerky movements of his head. Soon he wasn't stopping to speak with her at all. <clears throat> she found animal carcasses littered all over the forest. Some were half-eaten, others barely touched. Once she found a wild boar, larger than Hansel, with its neck broken. She wondered how Hansel had the strength to do such a thing. She wondered how he had the heart to do it. She saw him only in flashes now, a blur of skin through the trees, the scream of a dying animal, and then a howl of delight. She thought he looked different. He was growing hair on his face, on his back. She was frightened to be in the wood by herself, particularly at night. She heard howling, howling that she hadn't heard when they first come to Lebenwald. 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 Sorry. She wondered if it was Hansel. She stayed closer and closer to the hut for fear of seeing him. Then, one day, he walked into the clearing. Gretel stared. He walked bent now. He had hair all over his body, his arms, his back, his face, his chest. Wordlessly, she offered him a handful of berries and nuts. He snarled at her. She dropped them and hurried into the hut. He growled and stalked around the clearing for a few minutes. Gretel wondered if he would kill her, but he left. There were fewer animals in the forest these days. Gretel heard no birds in song. She saw no small rodents starting in and out of the underbrush. No deer nosed the stands of fern. And then, early one morning, a hunting party, a duke and his household, entered the wood. They blew their horns and their hounds bayed and barked. Gretel feared for herself. But more than that, she feared for Hansel. She crept into the hut and stayed there all day, hoping he would come to, come to her. The dogs and huntsmen scoured the forest for some sign of animal life. To their surprise, they found none. All day they searched, and all day they found nothing. The duke became angry and impatient. But then, at dusk, he saw a strange, hairy, hunched creature peering out from behind a large tree. There, he bellowed, and instantly the dogs were in pursuit. Hansel fled through the wood, thrilling at the terror of the chase. The dogs bayed at his heels. The horn sounded all around him. He dodged this way and that, panting, growling, laughing, howling. What fun, he thought. What tremendous, terrifying fun. At last, he came to the edge of a brook. Across the way, the duke sat astride his horse, his bowstring pulled tight, an arrow knocked and aimed at Hansel. The animal boy stared curiously at the sweating, red-faced man holding the strange bent stick. Then there was a snap and a hiss like a snake. An arrow flew through the air, a straight, simple harbing harbinger of death. Hansel watched it like watched it all the way to his chest, to exactly where his heart was. It buried itself there. He felt a searing bolt of pain and fell to the forest floor. The huntsman tied the strange, dead animal to a pole and carried him triumphantly back to the duke's manor. The next morning, Gretel ran through the wood looking for her brother. For a long time, she found nothing but broken branches and paw prints. Then, at last, she came to the brook and saw the earth stained a copper red, and the rocks at the water's edge spattered with blood. She ran to the tree with the face in it. My brother has been killed, she cried. He has been killed. But the tree would not speak to her. Gretel fell to the ground and sobbed and sobbed. She was alone in a great forest in a dark tale. 
Her father had tried to kill her. She'd been nearly eaten by the baker woman and had cut off her own finger. And now, and now her brother, Hansel, was dead. She would not stay in that forest. Not now. I need to go back to people, she said, wiping tears from her face. To grown-ups. As she left the wood of life, she saw a bird alighting in a tree nearby. Soon she could hear the sound of birdsong again, but it only made it hurt more. He only came back, she knew, because Hansel was dead. We're at one of those places in the story, and they happen in nearly all stories of any kind, when things seem to be really, really bad. When it feels like if things get much worse, you won't be able to listen anymore. When I was little, I used to call this part the sad part. I knew it would happen in every story, and I knew it always ended eventually, and I would repeat, this is the sad part, this is the sad part, over and over until it was done. And so, as I was piecing these stories together, I came to this part, and I realized that this was the sad part. I repeated this to myself again and again, to try to make it not feel so terrible, but it didn't help. It never does. It still hurts when a character you love dies, and another is left all alone in the world. Nevertheless, I will tell you, as I always tell myself, that things will get better. Much, much better. I promise. Just not quite yet. A smile as red as blood. Once upon a time, a little girl named Gretel walked down a wide, lonely road all by herself. She was as sad as a little girl can be, for the person whom she loved most in all the world was gone. After a time, she came to a small village that stood in the shadow of another great wood. This wood was as big as the last one, but no two woods could have been more different. Where the wood of life had been bright, inviting, and alive, this one was dark, forbidding, and dead. So forbidding that almost no one went in, and exactly no one came out. It was called the Schwartz, the Schwartzwald, the Wood of Darkness. That's Schwarzwald. Schwarzwald. Okay, so I pronounced it wrong at first. That's Schwarzwald, in case you were wondering. But the little village that stood near the shot. <laughs> But the little village that stood near the Schwarzwald was not was not dark at all. No, no. It was ringed by trees that, when Gretel arrived, had just slipped into their golden robes of autumn. Laughter was in the air, as well as with the smell of wood burning in fireplaces and apple cider frothing with cinnamon. Gretel walked down the town's single road, looking in the warm windows of the little houses, wishing that someone might invite her inside for some food, cider, and a little human comfort. But all the doors remained closed to Gretel. She was very tired and very, very lonely, and on the verge of giving up. She sat down and all her troubles overwhelmed her. She began to cry. Presently, the door to one of the houses opened, and a silver-haired woman came out. She went up to the little girl crying by the side of the road and asked her her name and why she was all alone. Gretel told her that she and her brother had long ago run away from home, but that recently her brother had been killed and she didn't know where to go or what to do. The woman reached out to hold her, and Gretel fell into her arms and buried her face in the woman's neck. She took Gretel into her home and washed her and picked the knots from her hair and gave her some old but clean clothes. Some weeks went by. Gretel had no thought now of where else she should go, or what else she should do. For what sense did it make to do anything now that Hansel was gone? And that is how Gretel came to live with the silver-haired widow in the, in the little village. Soon Gretel was just another child there, and, though she carried a great sorrow around with her, she put on a brave face. It was the time of the harvest, and everyone worked all day long, including Gretel. In the evenings, when the autumn air began became cool, the villagers would gather in and out of the would gather in and in front of the town tavern and drink and laugh and converse, while the children ran about in their games. But Gretel had no heart to play, so instead she sat by the grown ups and listened to their talk. There was one grown up in particular whom Gretel liked listening to. He was a young man, cheerful and kind, and he was very handsome. He had long black hair and green eyes flecked with gold that seemed to dance in the light. And it seemed to Gretel that the young man liked her, too, for whenever he saw he saw her looking at him, he would smile with lips of deep red before, before she, blushing, could turn away. So she sat near him always and marveled at his easy jokes and his careless laughter and his wonderful eyes. 
Occasionally, he would leave the grown-ups in the tower and go out among the children. He would tease them gently and lift them up, and all of them, particularly the girls, loved him. Sometimes a child would bring, would bring to the handsome young man a toy that was broken. It would be a porcelain doll with a finger that had cracked off or a wooden king that had lost its head. The handsome young man would draw from his pocket a tattered piece of twine. He would hold the toy between his knees and tie the twine around the broken piece. When he unwound the twine, the, uh, the toy was as good as new. The children would, would cry aloud and clap their hands, and the handsome young man would smile. Then he would go back to the tavern with the grown-ups. <clears throat> Each day, as the sky turned from pale blue to rich purple to black, Gretel would watch the handsome young man say his farewells, slip out of the tavern, the tavern door, and disappear into the darkness, out of the village, all alone. She wondered where he went. Well, one warm afternoon, when the last of the barley had been brought in from the fields, Gretel sat by the door of the tavern and watched the men play their favorite game. They played like this. One man balanced a mug on his chin, and everyone else tried to throw coins into it. If the mug didn't fall, the man got to keep all the coins. If it did, he had to buy everyone a drink. It was the young man's turn to have the mug on his chin, and Gretel watched as he weaved about like a snake being charmed, trying to prevent the mug from falling. Just then, one of the young man's friends appeared at Gretel's shoulder. Give him a shout, the friend whispered. See if he can hold it then. Gretel thought this was a funny idea, so she called the young man's name loudly. He was startled, for never before had Gretel spoken to him. He turned to her, and as he did, the mug went crashing to the ground. The men cheered, and the man who had put, who had put her up to it threw his head back and laughed until he was red from his collar to the top of his bald pate. But the young man's golden green eyes were wide, and suddenly he rushed at Gretel. His hands were stretched out before him like claws. Gretel screamed as he caught her hard around the waist. And then, in a moment, she was through, swooping through the air, her long blonde hair streaming out behind her, and his strong arms holding tightly onto her hips. And he was laughing, a beautiful, joyous laugh, his head thrown back and his eyes shining. He placed her on the ground again and smiled at her, and Gretel was breathless. He rubbed her head as if she were a puppy, and then he turned to lead the other men into the tavern. Gretel had been fascinated by the young man before. But in that moment, when he held her high in the air and his golden green eyes were sparkling and his red lips were curving and he was laughing, laughing with her and alone, well, at that moment, Gretel had passed beyond fascination. In that moment, Gretel had fallen in love. It wasn't real love, you might say. Just a child's infatuation. You might say that. You might say that. But if you did, it would prove that you were already old and that you don't remember what it is like to be a child at all. Every day after that... <laughs> I haven't a clue if that noise picked up on Mike, but if it did, I am so sorry. Every day after... Gotta hydrate. Every day after that, Gretel made sure to be near the handsome young man with the green eyes and black hair and red lips. He would talk to her and make her laugh and steal apples from the harvest barrels for her, and she wondered why she should be so lucky as to get all of this attention from him. One day, soon before the great harvest feast, as the day's work in the orchards was coming to a close and all the ladders were being folded up and taken in, Gretel noticed a large, beautiful apple still hanging from the bow of a tree above her head. She tried to jump for it, to grab it and put it in the barrels before a bird saw it and pecked holes in it, but it was too high for her to reach. So she called to the young to the handsome young man, asked him to come over and pluck it. He came and smiled at her, but it was too high for him, too, so he took her by the hips and lifted her into the air, and she gasped, as she always gasped, gasped when he touched her, and then she was high enough in the air to reach the apple, and she picked it. And then, instead of putting her down, he threw her into the air. Gretel screamed, but not in fear, and he caught her and threw her up again, and she was laughing. And he threw her up a third time, but this time he threw her too near an overhanging branch, and she reached up to protect her head, but too late, and she cried out in pain. When he lowered her to the ground, 
Red blood was running in a narrow rivulet down her face. Her forehead had struck the branch and left a deep cut just above her eyebrow. She was having trouble seeing she was having trouble seeing out of her left eye through the steady stream of blood. The young man knelt before her. He gazed at the cut. Very gently, very slowly, he applied his lips to it, and he sucked the blood away. Mmm! I forgot that moment. Moving on. Galda did not know what to think of that. Of that. Then he took from his pocket the piece of tattered twine that he used to fix the children's toys, and he wrapped it around her head so that it ran crosswise over the cut. He smiled at Gretel, and when he took the twine away and wiped the blood from Gretel's face, he, she saw that the bleeding had stopped and that her head no longer hurt at all. Now, dear reader, I seem to detect in you a growing unease about this handsome young man. I must say, I think that is very unfair of you. Do you suspect a flower, just because it is beautiful, or doctor, for his mysterious healing power, or the postman, because you don't know where he sleeps at night? Very unfair indeed. Oh, and while I'm thinking about it, you should go ahead and, re and rehire that babysitter that came by for the previous story. Make her take the little ones out to a movie this time. A G-rated movie. Or an R-rated movie, for that matter. Whatever it is, it probably won't be as bad as what you're about to read. I know, you don't believe me. How much worse could get th could things get, you ask? Believe me, much worse. As Gretel and the handsome young man walked in from the orchard that night, they talked about this and that, the weather, the apple crop, the upcoming harvest feast, until suddenly he turned to her and asked her if she didn't wonder where he lived. Gretel, shyly, replied that she did wonder sometimes. He asked if maybe we sh she would like to see his house. Her heart fluttered, and she told him that she would like to very much, and she thanked him for the kind invitation, and then she asked the handsome young man where, where his house was. A little ways into the forest, he said. In the forest? He laughed. You're not afraid of that silly old forest, are you? No, she lied. I'll leave a path of ashes for you to follow. How's that? Gretel's heart floated up near her mouth. That's good, she said. But that night, when she returned home and told the widow that she was going into, Sch into Schwarzwald, Schwarzwald to visit the, young, the, handsome, the handsome young man, a great fight began. The widow forbade her from going. It was not right for a child to visit a man's house in the first place, she said. And the fact that it was in the, Schwarz in the Schwarzwald? Did Gretel know nothing of that place? Was she a fool? Gretel was furious. She raged and cried all that night. The next day, her face was her face red and puffy. She told the handsome young man that she could not come, that the widow would not allow it. He smiled and told her not to worry, that they were still friends. But he talked to her less that day. She watched him from afar. Rarely did his gaze turn to meet hers. He's forgetting me, she thought. At the end of the day, the handsome young man turned toward the tavern without even glancing at Gretel, as if she no longer even existed. Just before he disappeared inside the tavern door, Gretel, Gretel ran and caught him by the arm. I'll come, she whispered fiercely, urgently. I'll come tomorrow. The young man hesitated, and then smiled and went into the tavern. Gretel returned home more determined than ever. She told the, the widow that she was going on the morrow, and that there was nothing she could do about it. They fought more that night, but Gretel was implacable. Impla implacable? I don't know. Early the next morning, she rose and prepared, prepared to go, but she found the widow, arms folded sternly across her chest, standing before the door. Gretel ran and pushed past her, squeezing under her armpit and then breaking into a run when she made it past the doorframe. Gretel! the widow cried. Gretel! But Gretel ignored her and ran out of the yard and into the dirt road. Then, from the doorway, the widow cried. Take these! Gretel slowed and looked back. The widow held held a bag of lentils in her hand. Cautiously, fearing a trick, Gretel walked back into the yard. Scatter them on the ashen path, the widow said mournfully, in case it rains. Gretel walked to the edge of the Schwartz vault and peered in. She felt a shiver skitter down her spine. At the wood's edge, the trees had the bright red and yellow leaves of high autumn. But Gretel could see that a little farther in the branches were mostly bare, the path of ashes 
snaked deep into the wood and out of sight. For a moment, Gretel hesitated. The wood was an evil place. Everyone knew that. What if she just turned around, she wondered, and did not go? What then? He would think she was a coward. Or worse, he would think that she did not care. No, Gretel could not allow that. She breathed deep, then she plunged into the darkness, scattering lentils as she went. As she walked, the air became colder, and within minutes, and within minutes the sunlight was almost entirely blocked by the trees. Gretel began to feel frightened. Branches hung like the claws of dead men. Clouds of gray mist passed by, looking for all the world like lost souls. The trees around her were gnarled and scarred, mutilated by time. No bird sang. The branches' long fingers became longer as Gretel walked, and soon it seemed that they were trying to grab her hair and her cheeks, scratching and tearing into her soft skin. She tripped on the twisted roots that reached up from the ground like corpses in a graveyard come back to life. Then it began to rain, as cold and sharp as needles falling from the sky. The rain struck the wood of the trees, making eerie sounds almost like words. Gretel stopped and listened. The wood, the world seemed to say, Go home, little girl, go home. To a murderous house you've come. For a moment she stopped and considered following the rain's advice, but she shook her head. You're being foolish, Gretel told herself. Rain can't talk. No, of course it can't. The moon can eat children, and fingers can open doors, and people's heads can be put back on. But rain? Talk? Don't be ridiculous! Good thinking, Gretel, dear. Good thinking. She went on through the darkness, ducking to avoid the clawing branches, and still she scattered the lentils behind her. Finally, she came to a clearing. In the center of it stood a tall, dilapidated house. It had once been painted black, but now the paint was peeling, revealing the rotting wood beneath, which was black, too. The stone roof was high and steeply sloping, with a long row of unlit windows poking out from beneath the slate. Before the windows, from the eaves, hung cages. In almost every one there perched a white bird, like a dove, but filthy, covered with brown stains and molting feathers. As Gretel stepped into the clearing, one called out in a voice that sounded more like a crow's than a dove's. Go home, little girl, go home, to a murderer's house you've come. Then another repeated it, and another, their raspy voices ringing out together in horrible chorus. Go home, little girl, go home, to a murderer's house you've come. Psst! Gretel! Gretel! What are you doing? Turn around! Go home! Go home! You would go home, wouldn't you, dear reader? You wouldn't be taken in by such a man as this. You would turn right around and leave. Tell me you would. Say you would. Oh no, you wouldn't. Not with such an object of your fascination and adoration there waiting for you. For you alone. Haven't you ever had that enchanting friend? The coolest boy, the older girl. And here she seemed to like you? Of all people. You? Imagine that he or she is in that house, waiting for you. For no one but you. What would you do? What wouldn't you do? Gretel followed the path of ashes up to the stairs. The heavy ebony door stood slightly ajar. Hello? She called. No answer. Slowly, fearfully, she pushed the door back and entered the front hall. All was dark, save a faint glow from a stairway that descended to the cellar. She followed the dim light below ground, carefully placing one small foot after the other on the creaking stairs. She found herself in a filthy old kitchen. Dirty pots and pans lay in piles on the stone floor. Chairs were overturned. In the middle of the room was a plain oaken table, with a large copper-colored stain. Gretel thought it looked like blood. Off in one corner, a great cauldron boiled, and crouched over it was an old woman with an iron shackle on her leg. Hello? Gretel, Gretel said uncertainly. Um, the woman turned. Her face was like worn leather. Her teeth were rotting in her gums. She glanced fearfully at the steps that led above. Who are you? The old woman hissed. What are you doing here? I'm here to see my friend, Gretel answered, her voice a tremble. The woman stared at her. Through the wood? She asked. By yourself? Gretel nodded. Oh, poor girl. The old woman muddled as she came near, muttered as she came nearer. You are brave to come all this way, but you must flee. 
Gretel's eyes grew wide, but she did not move. I want to see him, Gretel said. The old woman sighed and touched the girl's cheek, which was bleeding from the clawing branches. Oh, my dear, does your friend have long black hair, green eyes that dance with flecks of gold, and lips as red as blood? Gretel nodded. Then, my dear, you have befriended your death. The old woman paused and then went on. He is my son, but what kind of son would keep his mother locked up as a prisoner? I do not know. He is my son. I'm rereading the sentence because I did the last bit a bit wrong. He is my son, but what kind of son would keep his mother locked up as a prisoner? I do not know. He is evil, an evil magician, a warlock. He invites girls to this house, and he... No little children around, right? Like I asked. Are you sure? Check under the bed. At this point, they're usually hiding under the bed. No? Okay, so long as you're certain. He invites girls to this house, and he reaches down their throats and rips their souls from their bodies, and he traps the souls in cages in the form of doves to let them rot under his under his eaves. Then he hacks the girls' bodies to pieces to make our supper. The old woman smiled sadly and reached out to touch a lock of Gretel's golden hair. Such a brave and pretty girl, but such a fool. Suddenly, a crash rang out above. The woman's eyes went wide, and, without another word, she pushed Gretel behind an enormous stack of dirty pots and scampered back to her cauldron. At that very moment, the handsome young man with the green eyes and smile as red as blood appeared at the foot of the steps. He had a girl by the hair. Dear readers, I'm sorry for what follows. He threw the girl on the oaken table, and from a nearby cupboard produced a filthy iron cage. Then he reached his hand into the girl's mouth until his arm was buried deep in her throat. Slowly, painfully, and with great struggle from the girl, he pulled forth a beautiful white dove. The dove fought the young man as he shoved it in the filthy cage and slammed the door shut. The girl's body was still. Now you might want to close your eyes. He lifted an axe that hung on the wall, and Gretel, peering through a gap between a filthy pot and a filthier pan, watched her handsome, wonderful, funny friend hack the girl's body into bits and toss each piece into the boiling cauldron. His blunt butcher's knife rose and fell, rose and fell. He licked the blood from his hands and sent piece after piece sailing into the pot, each piece, that is, save one. On the girl's left hand, there was a lovely golden ring, inlaid with rubies, red as rubies can be. He tried to remove the ring so that it would so that it would not ruin the stew, but it wouldn't come off. Finally, in a rage, he hacked the finger clean off her hand and hurled it across the room. Gretel watched, dumbstruck, as it tumbled through the air, over the enormous pile of pots and pans that she was hiding behind, and landed squarely in her lap, ring and all. Somehow, she did not scream. The young man picked up the cage and started for the stairs. I'll be back in a moment, mother, he said. See that my stew is ready. As soon as he'd gone, the old woman ducked behind the pile of pots and pans. Go, my dear, she hissed at Gretel. Run away and never come back. Little the little girl needed no further encouragement. She fled up the stairs and out the door, but she came to a stop on the steps of the house. The rain was falling fat and wet and hard now, and the action path was utterly washed away. Even the lentils would be buried in the muck that was made by the heavy rain. Gretel had no way to get home. But then she noticed something incredible. The lentils had, sprout had sprouted. In the little time she'd been in the house, green shoots had come up from the wet soil, and now a pale green path marked her way back through the wood. She followed it as fast as her feet would carry her. When Gretel arrived at the widow's house, she went straight to her room and locked herself in. The widow came to the door, leaned her head against the frame, and asked Gretel if she was all right. Gretel didn't answer. She had her face buried deep in her pillow, as if it were still before her eyes. She could see the young man's bright blade slicing through the air toward the innocent girl on the table. And yet it wasn't the young man's blade at all. It was the blade of her father's sword, and the innocent girl was Gretel, her white neck exposed to the cold, flashing steel. She saw the young man's face and her father's face, as if they were one. Are there no good grown-ups anywhere? she cried. She wished she had her brother beside her, but he was gone.
dead. And it's my fault, she thought, and suddenly she realized that she had thought this all along. It's my fault. We shouldn't have run away from home. We shouldn't have eaten the walls of that house. And I shouldn't have let Hansel go into the woods alone. Not once, not twice, and certainly not three times. Her whole body throbbed. All the grown-ups want to kill me. I don't blame them. What is wrong with me? Her little body shook. Why am I so bad? Oh, don't be stupid, said a voice. Gretel looked up with a start. She was alone in the room. So who had said that? She looked under the under the door. The widow had gone away. She turned and faced the window. There, sitting on the window frame, was the black raven. She gazed at it curiously. He tapped his black beak against the glass, and then he said, Do you mind if we come in? Gretel wiped her face and advanced to the window. We? Yes, my brothers and I. Gretel opened the window and in fluttered three ravens, as black as could be. You shouldn't tell her she's stupid, said the second raven to the first. It isn't polite. Even if it is true, said the third. The first raven cleared his throat. We happened to be flying by, dear girl, when we noticed that you were upset. We felt bad. Personally responsible, added the second. Accidentally complicit, said the third. Gretel, who had had a very long day already, popped down on her bed and stared. You see, the first raven continued, all the misfortune that you and your poor brother have experienced is really the result of a, well, I guess you'd say an indiscreet conversation that the three of us had. He cocked his head apologetically. Gretel continued to stare. Indiscreet, the second whispered. What about it? The first replied. The third rolled his eyes. Indiscreet, dear girls, dear girl, means we shouldn't have been talking about what we were talking about when we were talking about it. Oh, that was helpful, said the second, and then, why don't we just explain it to her? And so, once the three ravens had settled their feathers and found comfortable perches on the windowsill, they told Gretel the whole story, from the very beginning. They told her about her grandfather's dying wish, dying wish and how her, mother, her father had found the portrait anyway, and then how he had stolen her mother. He did what? Gretel interrupted. Moving right along, said the second raven. Then they told her about their indiscreet conversation and how her father's servant, faithful Johannes, had heard it and used it to save her parents' lives. You see, the first raven continues, any wedding between your parents was destined to be cursed. The three of us know all about destiny, interrupted the second raven. It's sort of what we do, said the third. They were destined to be cursed, the first began. But what they did to you children, that goes a little beyond the scope of the curse, I'd say, finished the second. The third raven added quickly, but it certainly isn't your fault. It's probably ours, said the first, magnanimously. Had we kept our black beaks shut, none of this would have happened. Gretel scrunched up her face, because my parents would have died before Hansel and I were born. Exactly. That doesn't seem much better, Gretel pointed out. Hmm, said the first. I guess that's right. No, Gretel said. It's my fault. If Hansel and I hadn't run away from home, he wouldn't be dead. And we never would have killed the baker woman. And the father never would have wished his sons into swallows. And the third raven interrupted her. Do you remember why you ran away, Gretel? She looked into his black eyes and nodded. He said, seems like a pretty good reason to me. Gretel stared past the three ravens and out the window, at the red and orange leaves that balanced on the ed on the ends of branches, like on the ends of branches like tears. After a while, the third raven said, Well, we really should be going. More flying around to be done, letting people's fates out of the bag. Anything else we can answer for you before we go? said the second raven. It really isn't my fault, Gretel said. We are unable to lie, the first raven replied, so it must not be. And with that, the three ravens beat their black wings against the air and flew out the open window. Gretel fell back on her bed. It wasn't her fault. She had the sudden impulse to take all of the sadness that had been crushing her and hurl it away, to hurl it at those who had caused it in the first place, to make them feel the pain and know it and understand it and understand her. Slowly, she reached into her pocket and let her and let her hand close around something that was small and cool and turning blue. 
The next day, the village was all merriment. Tables were set all about with bread and, and beer and cider, as well as harvest gourds and autumn leaves and other signs of the festive season. Neighbors spoke cheerily about the cool, clear weather, and little clouds of steam puffed from their mouths. Smoke, smoke rose from chimneys, and the smell of roasting sausage, topped with apples, wafted over the gathering. The handsome young man stood with the other men, drinking beer from a great mug and laughing about this and that. Children ran to and fro. Soon the sausages were ready, and heaping platters were brought to the tables. Gretel quietly emerged from the old woman's house, her hands buried deep in the pocket of her dress. Everyone went to their seats at the tables, and the master of the town stood and delivered a few fine words. A couple of the older men did as well. Then the handsome young man stood up, raised his glass to the women, and said they were as beautiful as any women in, the in all the world. All the men cheered heartily, and the women blushed and smiled. And then, to everyone's surprise, Gretel stood up. Gretel stood up. Can I say something? she asked timidly. Even standing, she was smaller than most of the sitting adults. Get up on the chair, honey, one of the villagers told her. So she stood on her chair. I want to tell you, she began, but then she stopped. She looked at the handsome young man. He was smiling at her, but then she glanced down at his hands. Hands like a tear a girl's soul from its body. A dream, Gretel said. Just a dream that I had. The villagers murmured with approval. Once upon a time, you see, dreams were thought to possess hidden truth. I dreamed that I went into, into the Schwarzwald, she said. But as I walked through it, the, and the rain hit my face, and the roots tripped my feet, I heard the trees whisper, Go home, little girl, go home, to a murderer's house you've come. The villagers started with dismay, and the young man was staring at Gretel with a very strange expression on his face. Gretel glanced at his powerful, magical hands, and said hastily, It was only a dream. I came to a house in a clearing, and white birds hung on cages from the eaves, and they chanted, all together, Go home, little girl, go home, to a murderer's house you've come. But I went inside the house and followed a light into the cellar, where I found an old woman wearing a chain of iron. She told me to flee, and that the man who lived there was her son, and a warlock, and a murderer. The young man suddenly leaped to his feet. All the villagers stared at him. Sheepishly, he sat back down. It was just a dream, Gretel said cautiously. Just a dream. Then the man came home, and, she added quietly, he looked just like you. And Gretel pointed to the handsome young man. He was staring intently at her and had begun chewing on his fingernails like a madman. He had a girl and, was, and he was dragging her by the hair. He threw her onto a table and, pull, and pulled a pure white dove from her mouth and put it in a cage. It was only a dream. And then he took an axe and he chopped the girl to bits. It was only a dream. And he licked the blood off his fingers and threw the bits of the girl into a boiling cauldron. It was only a dream. The villagers were now talking to one another excitedly, pointing first at her and then at the young man. Except one piece didn't go in the cauldron, she went on. The girl's finger had a golden ring, with rubies red as rubies can be. He threw the finger in a rage, and it tumbled through the air and fell right in my lap. She paused. The villagers were now silent, waiting for the conclusion of Gretel's tale. The handsome young man's shoulders were rising and falling, rising and falling, and his eyes were wild. Gretel, standing on the chair, put her hand into her pocket and drew it out again. And here it is, she said. She held the bluing finger, with the ring still on it, in her hand. The young man leaped from his chair and began to chant the words of a dark curse. But before he could finish, someone came up behind him and knocked him unconscious with a tray of sausages. Then the oil was prepared, and a villager was sent to find the poisonous snakes. Because the best way to kill a warlock is to cook him with poisonous snakes in a cauldron of boiling oil. Obviously. But before the handsome young man could be thrown into the cauldron, Gretel went to his unconscious body and slipped her slender hand into one of his pockets. She withdrew the tattered, blood-stained piece of twine. She put it in her own pocket, and then nodded to the men of the village, who hoisted up his limp body and threw it into the hissing vat of oil and snakes. As the evil young man's life came to an end, somewhere deep in the forest a magic shackle was broken, and an old woman was set free. And around the eaves of a dark house, a hundred doves burst forth from their cages and fell to the ground, young women again. 
Gretel returned to the feasting table of the, with all the other villagers. They comforted her and marveled at her courage. At the end of the meal, she approached the widow and, after apologizing for being so willful and disobedient, told her that she would soon be leaving. Where do you plan to go? the widow asked. Gretel thought about it. At last, she said, on. There, that one didn't end so badly. Yes, it was pretty gory in the middle, but Gretel didn't lose any body parts, and nobody died. At least, nobody we really liked. In fact, things are getting better right here, so if you're still feeling sad about Hansel or anything else, don't stop now. In fact, if you're still feeling sad, now's the time to keep going. On the other on the other hand, if you're feeling sick to your stomach because of all the blood, now's a great time to stop. And that is also... Where's my bookmark? Where's my bookmark? Oh. <laughs> Me saying that had the same energy of the audio where it's like, oh, where's my dick at? <laughs> you know that audio? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? If you know, you know. You know? But that is where that this episode ends. And where me being all caught up on my recordings ends. I'm saying all caught up now because I could have like missed this and then been delayed again and all that. But since this is done and going out on the right day, that means I am all caught up. Like officially, canonically, like indisputably all caught up. Yo, what happened to all my ponytail holders? Oh my god, there's a dime in my bed. Sorry. I just went into the computer pouch in my bag to see if to see if my stuff was there. My ponytail holders. That's not important. And there was just a dime there, so that I didn't know there was a dime in my bag. So I was like, oh gee, I'm a witch. <laughs> I'm so sorry for every word that ever leaves my mouth. Oh my lord. <laughs> anyway, I've made you cringe. You hopefully enjoyed this episode. Dude, I thought I heard footsteps and I thought one of my parents was gonna barge into my room and scream at me or something and I was terrified for a millisecond. Anyway... Anywho. <laughs> oh my god. Your ex games mode. Y'all, I I am a cringe machine, a cringe factory, if you will. No one can make you cringe as hard as I can. That's probably that's an over exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I'm just gonna cut this here before I before I make it any worse for someone to listen to. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm trying to get comfortable. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to this episode. I can't wait to vibe with you next time. Remember to drink water and fuck bitches. Bye!